Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here with regular guest Justin Garcia in what is, uh, and I realized this because of this, this poll that just got put up on the Locked on podcast account, that this is actually the 100th episode for me since I took over as host. So that's gone really quickly. I think more than anything, that reminds me how quickly an NBA season goes when we are we all watch it and follow it as closely as we do. And then we turn around and realize, well, shit, it's, it's already March and the playoffs aren't too far away. So I will say that I, I think that you've been, I don't know, what would be the number that you would guess? That you, how many episodes do you think you've done? 15 to 20, I would say. I mean, it's been, it's been more than just a, a rare appearance for you on the podcast, I would say. But we appreciate you always jumping on. Yeah, I would, I would have guessed 15. So 100 episodes you've already done. When, when, when did you do talking. That? <laughs> before so it was just before opening night so i think it was about a week before yeah. the game in houston so i guess i mean if you're doing five minimum sometimes six a week i guess it's not going to take too long for those numbers to add up but uh, i did want to clear up so this tweet came out from locked on nba podcast the, the official twitter account there so we did a poll as the hosts of the locked on nba uh podcast and the poll was to pick your five top NBA teams in the league. So I think maybe the tweet was a little bit confusing and people started tweeting, congratulations for being voted the number one podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network. And, and, you know, personally, I hope that we would win that poll anyway, but it was actually us voting for who we think the best teams are in the league. So I, I think the order was uh, Milwaukee number one, Lakers two, Clippers three, Raptors four, then Rockets number five. So... Uh, I guess I may as well disclose my five. The only difference I had there was I had uh, the Celtics at number five ahead of the Rockets. Uh, I, I, I didn't really think about the Rockets myself personally for that top five, but we're going to talk a little bit about the Celtics and, and Raptors and these teams a little bit later. So we can, we can get to that. But I want this to be, we speak about this guy a lot, but I want this to be the Dante DiVincenzo podcast because I, first of all, I just think he deserves it, what he's doing for this team. And the impact he is having, and we talk about it all the time, but not always scoring. I mean, this is a guy right now that's averaging 9.1 points, 4.8 rebounds, 2.2 assists, 34% from three. But he's just become so integral to this team, what they try and do defensively, the disruptiveness he brings on the defensive end. And I thought last night in Toronto, we did touch on it with Frank, but, but I want to go into this a little bit further because I thought that we saw the absolute perfect illustration of how this guy has been able to impact games and contribute to winning basketball without scoring. He was one for six from the field, had just five points. But every single time that he got his hand on the ball, whether it was crashing the offensive glass for the three offensive rebounds he had, whether it was diving on the ground for loose balls, it was deflections, it was tipping the ball out to a teammate that doesn't register on the box score. He was just in everything. And when the Bucks were really making their move in the third quarter, 
there's no coincidence that this guy was on the floor. I, I got to tell you too, I, uh, I could not be uh, more proud of myself that I bought up all the Dante DiVincenzo <laughs> stock there was last year. Uh, now maybe part of that was wishful thinking that it, you know, all of these draft picks that we have with the bucks that fans seem to be really attached to, I think initially part of it is we really, really want this player to be good. And that's probably what a lot of it was with Dante. But I do remember when the Bucks drafted Dante DiVincenzo, I didn't know much about him. I only saw a handful of games at Villanova and obviously the big performance in the national championship game. But I was talking with uh, somebody I frequently would catch up with, Aaron Torres of Fox Sports, who covers NCAA for them. And I just asked him about, you know, what do you know about Dante? What do you think about this pick for the Bucks? And this was the day of the draft. He raved about it. And basically, everything that Dante is doing now is what he said. You're going to love this guy. He does everything. People think of him as a scorer because of the championship game. But he defends. He rebounds. He passes. He's great. He's going to be a guy that the Bucks can cultivate into something. And, you know, that's exactly it. We keep hearing the same thing over and over from Coach Bud. We heard it last night. Uh, but just Dante and has a way to make winning plays. That That's his knack. The rebound, offensive rebound sequence that came in the second half that Dante was all over. Uh, just the way that he, you know, we said this a lot about Sterling Brown last year too, but he's another one of those guys that just plays with an edge. When he got into it with Kyle Lowry, that, you know, look at what they have this year compared to look at the last two years when the Celtics series the guys that played in game seven against the Celtics for Jason Terry and Jabari Parker were playing 50 <laughs> minutes combined off the bench. You had Shabazz Muhammad and Zeller playing there. Even last year for as, how as, as good as the bench was uh, still game six against the Raptors, Nico Miritich didn't play. You went eight deep and the three bench guys were Pat Connaughton, Ursan and George Hill. Let's just say they go eight deep this year. The three guys you got to believe are Marvin Williams, Dante and George Hill. And that's leaving, you know, Pat Connaughton and Robin Lopez and all these other guys out that uh, it, it's a credit to Dante, but it's just, again, the job that John Horst has done to trim this roster and build it at the edges the way he's done, where you're keeping the same group intact. But those three years where we just talked about the bench and what it looked like and how it has gradually gotten better each year, I mean, that's maybe the biggest reason for optimism going into the playoffs this year. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the Bucks roster and, and how it's constructed right now, and you just touched on it a little bit there, but it is really unique because uh, virtually any team that you look at outside of, of teams that have been fabricated by bringing in a group of marquee free agents, so you think about the Miami Heat or something like that, but the Bucks, when you when you look at the draft picks that they've had in the past, Obviously, Giannis was the absolute jackpot. Like the once in a, in a lifetime draft pick that you get that works out as deep as he was taken in the first round. But all those other fringe draft picks, they just haven't worked out. They had the one, uh, obviously, top two pick with Jabari Parker. He's gone. Don Maker was the other top 10 pick. He's gone. So when you look at the roster here, if you're trying to build a championship contender, those, yeah, sure, you can get the veteran minimum contracts. But picking up draft picks that can be on your roster and be a part of the rotation on those cheap deals is what really, really helps you uh, move up in, in the standings and be able to get uh, a lot rotation pieces, veteran pieces that can help you out. And the Bucks just haven't had that. I mean, you look at DJ Wilson right now, obviously, uh, 
you know, we don't know what he's going to become. He's still young. He ha- hasn't had a, a great opportunity. And, and we know the Bucks have him on guaranteed money next year. So there's certainly still time for DJ Wilson. I'm not writing him off. But as it stands, he's not a part of this rotation. Sterling Brown, much the same. He's had a few opportunities here or there, but he hasn't been able to take them. So for Dante to be that late first-round pick that was really an impact player last season in his rookie year before being cut down with the heel bursitis, for him to come in this year and play this uh, this important of a role. I mean, honestly, this guy is quickly becoming the X factor that was missing in, in last season's playoffs. Now, I'm not going to stay, stand here and say that rookie Dante DiVincenzo was the difference between the Bucks getting to the NBA Finals or not, but there's no doubt when things seem, seem to get stagnant with this team, when they, when they need a little bit of a spark, more often than not, it's that guy. And it's not always him hitting the three. But as I sort of pointed to earlier, it's him just getting them a second chance opportunity, whether it's a, a tap back on an offensive rebound, whether it's a steal, whether it's a deflection, whether it is him diving on the floor, those extra opportunities that allow a guy like Giannis to get a dunk or allow a guy like Chris Middleton to shoot a three. I mean, those are the type of plays that win you playoff basketball games. And we've already seen it in the regular season. Uh, this guy just bobs up in important moments whether, it's, whether it is him scoring himself or making those little plays, those unrecordable plays, uh, he is, he's just becoming a vital player. It's incredible. Yeah, and um, I think quietly, too, up to, what, 34% from three, which, uh, you know, if you have Dante shooting 34%, 35 36% from three, uh, that just makes him even, you know, even more deadly, I guess, in that everything else that he does. And, and not only that, but Eric Bledsoe has played really well the last – two weeks, I'd say, or so. I mean, the season overall, but especially these last few weeks. But I know there's a large contingency that still has in the back of their mind the fear over what are we going to see from Eric Bledsoe in the playoffs. I mean, this just gives you not only George Hill, but Dante DiVincenzo as well as insurance to that in case Eric Bledsoe goes through any struggles. Yeah, so Dante, for mine, particularly... Um, over this last sort of probably month, I feel like has really gained in confidence as a scorer. Now, his three-point shooting is something that we speak about a lot because that is the obvious uh, thing that you can look to and say, well, look, if this becomes real and he becomes a consistent 35 36% shooter, then that takes him to another level as a player. Last year as a, as a rookie, 26.5% from three on 3.1 attempts per game. This season, that's up to 34, as you already pointed to, on 3.7 attempts per game. So it's not like the volume is gone up drastically, but certainly the percentage is, is trended in a, in a better direction. But the interesting thing with Dante, and this may be something that sticks with him through uh, his entire career. I mean, when you talk about shot selection, uh, we always talk about the confidence that he has. Some of these shots that he takes are incredibly uh, quick triggered and and you think, well, I'm not sure if that was the right shot uh, for that moment, but his confidence is unwavering. And when you look at his percentages from month to month, so November, he was up at 36%. Now, uh, oh, actually, so, yeah. So when you look at November, 35% or 35.9% in the 16 games there, then he was down to 27% in December, back up to 39% in January. And now in February, he's back down to 32%. So uh, with DiVincenzo, I, I think that you're going to have to accept that his shot is going to go through those sort of streaks where he's really filling himself for a few games in a row and then maybe he'll go cold for a little bit. And generally, when you talk about a second-year player or, or a first-year player with him uh, last year, that kind of thing can take you out of the rotation. I mean, we've certainly seen that with DJ Wilson last year when he went through a cold streak. 
He didn't stay in the rotation. Sterling Brown, there's been a number of reasons why, but his three-point shot has been a little bit down this season, and that probably has contributed to him not playing. But because Dante does so many other things, that's how he allows to stay in the rotation. But as far as that outside shot goes, uh, I think that it might be something to, to sort of expect with him that it's going to go up and down. Uh, and it, it might be just a, a matter of whether he can sort of change that 27% shooting month in December and make that low point 31, 32. And if he can do that, then overall he might average out to be a 36, 37% shooter. And that's, uh, I mean, that, that, that really does elevate him to another level. Yeah, and, and the maybe the biggest takeaway and the good news from those splits of you know November, January shooting well is that it just tells us March and May is when he's going to be shooting very well again. <laughs> You'll be able to count on the big shooting splits to lead you into the NBA Finals. Yeah, I mean, that would be uh, fantastic. Uh, I, I don't think that there's too many... I mean, to be honest, like any time I think about the Bucks having a, an exciting playoff run, it's obviously a, a nice thing to think about uh, moving forward. But Dante hitting big shots, that's something that I think uh, I would be very, very excited to see because I've said it before, and you know that from being inside 5-step forum, for some reason, well, not for some reason, it's because of all these little things that he does. But when he he's hits those threes, yeah. Yeah. he's a crowd favorite. That if, if, if Dante or DJ Wilson right, would right, right. get a big go-ahead three or something that put a game out of reach, the building would explode. All right. So one other thing I want to talk about here with Dante, and, and this again, uh, we know what he does defensively. We know that the, the outside shot is, is very obvious that it, you want that to be a part of his game. But it's interesting this year to note his numbers when you are looking at attacking the rim because his confidence for mine has certainly gone up. When you watch him as a player, he's looking to be more aggressive. He's looking to put the ball on the floor and drive towards the basket. And uh, just looking at the numbers from cleaning the glass uh, here before we started recording the podcast, uh, his frequency of shooting at the rim has gone up from 29% of his attempts last year came at the rim. This year, 42%. So that's a significant jump. And I think we've definitely seen that. Last year at times, he felt like a guy uh, that was just out in the perimeter and he would shoot threes, but there wasn't a lot else going on. So that's a nice jump. The other thing to note though, is obviously the percentage. And last year he shot 79% at the rim, which put him in a 96th percentile for his position. This year that's dropped all the way down to 61%, which puts him in the 59th percentile. So Obviously, we've seen this, and, and the most obvious example to relate to for Bucks fans is, is Malcolm Brogdon in Indiana. Once the volume goes up, you can expect that efficiency is going to go down. Now, 79% at the rim is not going to be sustainable, but 61% is a little bit lower than you would like, and he's certainly been a guy that gets into position to score and just lacks that finishing touch at this point. Last night in Toronto, the one shot that he did make was a, it was an absolute circus lap. It was incredible. It was an incredible finish. He showed great body control and was able to put that in there. That's one thing that I'm really looking forward to seeing with him, to see if he can develop that ability to finish at the rim. And, it's pro- and maybe it won't be something that will happen this season. It might be another uh, off-season in the gym, working on that core strength, working on his, his overall physicality and, and being able to absorb contact there and then finish. We'll see. But I, I think just recently we've seen him get to the free throw line a little bit more as well. And again, I mean, you talk about steps the guy can take. That would be huge. Yeah, I mean, he, he has, as you just said, no problem getting to the rim. And that's, that's the one thing missing more so than the consistent outside shot because of how he can create that shot. If you see him start to finish at, you know, the way we're seeing Eric Bledsoe finish right now. And as you mentioned, how Malcolm Brogdon did, uh, that, you know, Dante really becomes – I know we're past this, but 
the Malcolm Brogdon replacement if he can start to consistently finish at the rim. Yeah, no doubt. And, and again, an, another important source of, of offense for him, uh, probably along with Pat Connaughton, uh, I would say the, the best cutter on the team. His ability to, to find those gaps and move without the ball is really impressive. So, uh, listen, I just thought that this was something we needed to do. Dante, uh, I think night after night, uh, he just continues to impress and, and the scoring just continues to come on. And uh, I, I did sort of tweet these numbers out uh, a couple of nights ago during the game. But he only scored double digits in five of his first 35 games in his NBA career. And now... He scored in double digits in 23 of the last 45. It's becoming the norm to look at the box score, certainly over the last month or so, and see that he's had uh, you know, 12 points, five rebounds. That's just a, a normal contribution for him, obviously averaging nine points on the season. Uh, I think that he, you know, when you think back to the start of the season, not even in the rotation, and maybe he was getting over some things. We're not uh, 100% sure why that was the case, but I always re- remember back to that game in Orlando where both him and Sterling Brown actually came in and had a huge impact when the Bucs uh, were trailing early in that game on the road. Uh, DiVincenzo has not looked back since then, has really figured in the rotation. He has quickly become, as I keep on saying, an, an X factor for this team and a guy that now, I-, I always questioned this when he first came in. I said, okay, look, this is great. He's playing on a great team. He'll have some moments in the regular season. But it's getting to the point where you, you can't deny this guy as being a, a genuine impact player in the playoffs. And when you talk about the rotation, as I sort of mentioned on last night's pod, his game against Toronto last night where Bud went to a 10-man rotation, there's some new faces in there with Robin Lopez, Wesley Matthews, Dante DiVincenzo, Marvin Williams, potentially Kyle Corver. We'll see whether he, where he figures in the rotation coming in. These added bodies into this rotation, they're all, they all seem... Like they are ready to go and, and ready to be an impact player on this team. The top end of, of the Bucks has gotten better. Chris Milton, we always talk about. Giannis, we always talk about. Those two have taken another step. But the, the guys coming off the bench in the back end of the uh, lineup, that's why this team is so good. They've gotten so much better. They're just so much deeper than they were a season ago. And, you know, we, we can quickly forget, too, just how big the bench was last year and Pat Connaughton's bench yeah. mob and, uh, really what the bench did against the Celtics that, you know, to think about how much better that unit is this year compared to what you got last year, a very productive unit, especially in the second half, is at times just mind-blowing to think about those names that you mentioned. And, you know, now adding Marvin Williams into the mix, who last night and against Philadelphia, you saw every bit why he can help swing things here and how we keep talking about well, it changes situational things and aspects for the Bucks, where you don't have to rely on Ursan to defend some of the more athletic big men. And, you know, what Marvin did and his ability to knock down the outside shots that you're basically getting an athletic version of Ursan Ilyasova that, you know, to think you would see two big games like that with Philadelphia and Toronto and this team deep enough that we didn't even see Ursan Ilyasova on the floor is still something that I'm sure a lot of fans are still struggling to come to grips with. Yeah, no question. And, and if anyone didn't see Marvin Williams' post-game uh, interview in the locker room after the game in Toronto, you should go back and check it out. This guy, I, I mentioned it the first time we got the chance to speak to him at Fiserv Forum uh, after he was just signed to the Bucs. I, I said how impressed I was with the way that he spoke. And I shouldn't be surprised. I mean, this is a guy that's been in the league forever and, and always been someone 
that has been considered as a, as a good locker room guy and someone uh, that causes no problems, just plays his role and wants to win. And I, I think that we've seen that ever since he came in. And last night after the game, he, he mentioned the fact that uh, you know, defending Pascal Siakam for him is, is very normal. He said, well, I've done this my whole career. I've defended the best, uh, the best wing guy on the opposition team for 15 years. He said, I, I, I know that it's not always going to, to, to be a, a defensive stopper. I'm not going to necessarily slow them from scoring at all. But my job is to just try and uh, make life difficult for them and, and do my best. And he said, I'm not flustered. I'm not worried. They put me on the best players. This is what I've always done. And it was just super impressive to hear him say that because you know that uh, that's what Bud's going to do. And I, I think last night, uh, we mentioned it last night, but I, I thought it was a positive to see Marvin in the starting lineup. But while we're sort of still on, on the Raptors here, I, I think it was interesting. There was something that I was thinking about today, uh, this afternoon prior to obviously recording this. I was just looking at the NBA standings and obviously we know the Bucks 50 and 8 now, just an, an absurd start to the season for them. But when you look at the top teams in the East and their record against above 500 teams, because, you know, there is this circle of people that want to say, well, the Bucs have had an easy schedule and, you know, they're beating up on the bad teams. That's certainly true. They're beating up on the bad teams, but they're the best team in the league. So that's generally what's going to happen. I, I don't know why people are shocked by that. But when you look at the record above 500 teams at the top of the East, Milwaukee, after last night, 13 and 7. Philadelphia, uh, I mean, to the surprise of no one, not a great record, 12 and 16. Miami, 12 and 10. Boston, 12 and 10. And then you look at the Toronto Raptors, 10 and 13. So, yeah, Boston and Miami are just uh, a couple of games over 500 there, but Philly and Toronto, well below 500. And then Milwaukee, 13 and 7 record. And of course, we do know. And, and listen, I, I'm not out here. I'm not going to discredit games that, the, that they lost and other teams won because that's, that's ridiculous. I mean, this, this shit happens and, and that was a good win for the opposition teams. But you think back to October, two of those losses for the Bucs come against those teams, Boston and Miami, in games where they had 18-point leads very early in the season, first week of the season. So, so much has changed since then. We know the Bucs are going to get a chance to play Boston and Miami coming up here. But my question to you is, are we, and, and when I say we, I mean, we know that outside media obviously are underrating the Bucks. But even, even us sometimes, I, I, I was just thinking, say, and I, I'm wondering, are we even underrating the Bucks and how good they are? And are we overrating these other teams around them? Because I've certainly found myself in recent weeks wondering, oh, Boston actually is looking pretty good and, and trying to talk myself into how they can challenge the Bucks and Toronto also uh, as well. Do you think that that is the case? Are we, are we overrating these other teams in the East and underrating the Bucks? Oh, I absolutely think so. And it's, you know, it's something we've talked about on the postgame show for probably about a week now in that we're starting, you know, this isn't a hot start anymore that we're 58 games in. And I know it's the regular season, but we have enough of a sample size with what you just pointed out and the records against uh, teams with a winning record and how the rest of the Eastern Conference is stacked up and, um, we've seen enough to make it really hard to find one of these teams in the Eastern conference. That's going to be capable of pushing the bucks to even seven games in a series that I keep going back to the 14, 15 golden state warriors team where, you know, they got off to that 21 and two start and outside of a, a 15 game sample size right around this time of the year where they went 10 and five, they were, you know, from start to finish the best team in the league 
all season long. And it was kind of the same narrative that, you know, Bucks fans are frustrated to hear for the Bucks from the national media and, and anybody else of, well, the Warriors are off to a hot start, but they haven't done it in the playoffs before. And they haven't gotten to the finals. They haven't never been on that level. Who do they have in the roster that's gotten there? They're a jump shooting team back before everybody was a three point team. And, you know, now, albeit through the benefit of hindsight, but now five years later, when you look back at that season and saw it was the start of a dynasty, not to say that the Bucks are building a dynasty here, but when you look back at it now and you think, how the hell did none of us realize at the time this was, how didn't all of us jump on the bandwagon and say, yeah, this is the team that it's starting to feel like that's what we're going to be saying in June and July now. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and, on top of those records that I mentioned against above 500 teams, just take a listen to this. I mean, this is absurd. I'm looking at it right now. Home records for those teams, Milwaukee 26 and three, Toronto 23 and eight, Boston 23 and five, Miami 23 and three, Philadelphia 27 and two. All these teams at the top of the East win at home. They've got incredible records on their home floor. But now when you look at the road records, Bucks 24 and five, Toronto 19 and eight, Boston 17 and 12, Miami 13 and 18, and Philadelphia 9 and 20. And I haven't even included the paces. They look like the, the wheels are falling off there for them. So I, I don't think that they're really in the picture. But and, and to be fair, I don't think Philadelphia are either. But uh, I just think when you look at that, uh, me, myself, even, I, I just think that perhaps these games coming up here where we see the Bucks against better teams, we're going to get more of an indication that maybe you are going to just find out that. For all we talk about and for all the talk over the last sort of 12 months, 18 months about uh, Giannis obviously being an MVP caliber player and, and do the Bucks have the roster around them, we might find that, that these other teams might qualify as rosters that are beating up on bad teams and the Bucks are just simply a judge. And we've got 130, 140 uh, games of uh, basketball under Bud to, to really know that. I, I just think that, you know, the numbers now are starting to point to, and you look to a game last night against Toronto where the Raptors looked like they really didn't have a number one option. They didn't look like they had a guy that could score against the Bucks. This is a team that's 42 and 16 and second in the Eastern Conference. It shouldn't look that way. You should have a guy uh, that looks like he can do some damage. And it, and it really just coming off that game made me think about that. Uh, this Bucks team is very, very, very good. And I'm not sure whether that second tier is really anywhere close to their level. And perhaps... We'll get to the playoffs and see that's the case. I mean, it, it, it feels like we're moving towards being able to cross teams off and that, you know, Indiana, it, it seems like they're in that list, that, you know, they're not on obvious bucks level, but I don't think Indiana's on that second tier either. Philadelphia, you know, for all we made over Christmas Day, maybe it changes towards the end of the year when the Bucks have their final matchup on the road there. But in the two games we've seen and everything else and the resume we've seen from Philadelphia, that certainly kind of feels like a team you can cross off to if for no other reason than any series the Bucks play against the Sixers, they're going to have home court. And we've seen Philadelphia's road record um, that, you know, I was never a huge believer as much as others in the acquisitions of Andre Iguodala and Jay Crowder that it's just kind of seems like it's this Raptors team and Celtics team. And the more we see, in these final, what, four games they have this season between the Celtics and the Heat are going to really help us determine if you know, like that argument of can anybody push them to seven? Well, what if they just roll through Boston and Miami in those series and we see a clear separation and the Bucks 
move into the playoffs 10 games in front of the Raptors who are, or whoever's in second in the East. And at that point, are we going to ask, can anybody take them to six games? Yeah, so on that note, you talk about games that I am looking forward to. Friday night's definitely one of them. I think the fun, Thunder are a, a good team. And we'll see whether they are capable of coming on the road. They will be on the, the second night of a back-to-back, uh, which is obviously difficult coming into Milwaukee on, on that sort of uh, scheduling. But, I mean, I, I know every team has to do this. We just saw the Bucks go into Toronto and win on the second night of a back-to-back. But then outside of that, you look a week from this Friday, the Bucks will be in LA to take on the Lakers. Now, that's a game that I'm obviously really looking forward to watching. But... I think this was this was good. I think it was good to talk about Dante. I said uh, I think that while we've mentioned him at times, it's some some sometimes it's just very easy to overlook him and talk about Giannis and talk about Chris and all the other ridiculous things this team is doing. But I will say tomorrow's podcast. Um, I don't want to name any names, but there's been a request for someone to come on the podcast on multiple occasions, and uh, if I can get him under control. Tomorrow afternoon, I think we're going to record. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I'll tease it. I'll leave it at that. But Justin, it's always good to talk to you. And like I said, another day off before the Bucks are in action Friday night at Fireset Forum against the Thunder. So for Justin Garcia and myself, Game Pittman, we'll speak to you guys tomorrow.